The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Kenny Rogers has a song from like the 80s called Through the Years, and it has absolutely nothing to do with this episode other than it's the same title. Hello, welcome to Scrambled. I'm Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 47, Anxiety Through the Years. But whenever I write this or read it, I always think of Kenny. Yeah, through the years. But yeah, nope, nothing to do with this. The only song from Kenny Rogers that I immediately recognize is Islands in the Stream. Sure. And did did you do that with Dolly Parton? That was with Dolly Parton. I mean, not the gambler. I I mean, arguably, that's probably his most famous one. Would you sing it for me? Sure. I was actually going to, but no, no, no. Yeah, you okay. Did mine immediately. Well, maybe in the after hours um, episode here, but we're going to talk about how anxiety looks through the years. You can see it early on and then, you know, it can change. We've called it a shapeshifter in the past. So we're going to kind of talk about what it looks like at different age groups. Yeah. So there will probably be a bit of rerun in this episode because we have talked about anxiety and how it looks many different times. But I think it bears repeating because Mm -hmm. this is kind of the heart of it for us and being able to recognize it and having people in children's lives see something and and know what it is. And so that's, that's kind of our goal. And that's why we kind of bring this back to the forefront. I don't know why this popped into my head because I know the words, but it's, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know okay. when to walk away, know when to run. Yeah. That's okay. I know that. Okay. I know that. I, yeah, just really didn't put it all together. I yeah. uh, didn't, didn't think about that. Well, cause when you asked me to sing it, I was going to start at the beginning and do like the whole dang <laughs> song. But then once I got to the chorus, I'm like, she knows this song. She's got to. Yeah. Yeah. See the problem with me and music is I, I have spent a lot of time listening to talk radio and news. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, songs aren't readily available to me, but um, that I do know Islands in the Stream, so I won't sing it. But karaoke, let's bring it on. All right, let's talk about anxiety. That's what we're here for, right? <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. So how young can a parent notice anxiety? To, well, first, I get, we should talk about we all have anxiety, right? Yes, yes, yes. So we do all have it. We should have it. We're supposed to have it. It's normal. It's natural. It's necessary. And just kind of a a review of some of the things we talked about previously. Anxiety motivates us. It keeps us safe. It helps us to do the things we might not otherwise be interested in doing. You know, anxiety is the thing that gets us to pay our bills so we have a place to live. It's the thing that gets us to, you know, do the dishes or clean up messes or just, you know, do tasks that we would otherwise be like, oh, this is boring. I don't want to do it because it keeps us from, you know, a a worse situation, right? Anxiety is the thing that keeps us safe in a dangerous situation. It it motivates us to seek help when we need it. Um, It's the thing that that pushes us to practice or study for a test or, you know, prepare for something. Or not do that. Or not do that as the case may be. So, and that's that's great lead into the next point, which is what we're going to be talking about is anxiety that's problematic, anxiety mm-hmm. that's getting in the way of functioning, anxiety that is sort of having the opposite effect of what it's supposed to do. So if it's supposed to motivate you, but it's paralyzing you instead, that's not great, right? Yeah. So that's that's what we want to talk about is, is problematic levels of anxiety that can show up all throughout the lifespan. Yeah, some some folks have the extra big gulp size of anxiety built in, so that's when it becomes problematic and uh, life 
altering for sure. So we've talked in the past too about my son who has it, and we first discovered it in second grade. First grade teacher said have him tested for ADHD. We did. That came out generalized anxiety disorder. So I guess first grade is when we noticed it. But once we got the diagnosis and we look back, we're like, oh, I see the sign there. I see this. I bet this was anxiety, not just a temper tantrum. So not even in theory, but in theory, how early can a parent spot anxiety in a child? So just exactly as you described, there's there's a little bit of that, you know, looking back and hindsight is twenty twenty. You could have an infant who shows signs of anxiety very, very early on, but you may not recognize that that's what it is for a while. Or, and here's the other thing is you might go, hmm, I'm going to keep my eye on that. And then it turns out to be fine. Later on, you know, the child is well adjusted and, and that particular thing you saw was a short-term thing. But so some of the things you might see in an infant that could possibly maybe suggest underlying anxiety issues would be uh, like a strong startle response, like where they they oh. jump or seem more easily scared than the average infant. Okay. Um, you know, we, we would expect a child to jump or, or be startled if they hear a loud noise or, or something sort of frightening happens. Um, but if it's things that, you know, most kids don't really react to and, and your child is like extremely um, responsive to those things, that could be a very, very early sign. Again, could be nothing too. Could be just their sensitivity, their hearing, their, the way their their sensory systems work together. Other things that might suggest um, possible anxiety would be when kids are more distressed than the situation calls for a lot of the time. So um, babies who, you know, get really, really upset about something that really wouldn't normally upset a child. We're talking about ages zero to two here. So I'm talking about, you know, little tiny infants, but also toddlers who are kind of roaming around and doing things. If they are just out of proportion upset to whatever the thing was, um, that's something to keep your eye on. It might might not be a problem at all. Might end up being completely fine, but that's something to be aware of. Um, Why would, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. I apologize. Why would an infant have anxiety? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it, I know it can be hereditary or is there a, a trauma response? Yes and yes. Yes, okay. yes. It could be wiring. They're just hardwired to be okay. a little bit more uh, sensitive to, you know, things that would, would cause fear or anxiety. It could be they've experienced some kind of a trauma. Um, I'm by no means an expert on the concept of prenatal trauma, but it's a thing. And many people are studying those, you know, things that happen to the mother while she is pregnant with a child does that impact the child's mm. anxiety and you know level of response to their environment later? Some studies suggest that it does, and I think that's a very interesting line of thought. Um, but also, you know, if if there's difficulties early in that child's life, scary events, separation from their primary caregiver, those kinds of things can result in anxiety symptoms that surface very young too. So it can be genetic. It can be, hey, everybody in this family line has a stronger you know, predisposition towards anxiety. And so that's why you're seeing it. Or it could be that something happened somewhere along the line that that triggered this child to be a little bit more sensitive. Interesting. Because you don't think of anxiety being in infants because it's like, you know, what 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 is there to be anxious about? Because right, right. you're so new that you don't even know what's, yeah. what's in the world. 
and at, at that stage, you know, you're you're definitely not looking at it through the the same lens as you would with a nine or ten year old child, where you're mm-hmm. maybe encouraging them to talk about their emotions or identify ways to cope with their feelings. You're just soothing that child or that you know that infant or that toddler, and you're helping them, you know, learn that you are a safe person and that you can you know protect them from things, and you're helping them to learn just life skills in general, so that they can begin to you know work through those experiences on their own as they get you know older. Other things you might see would be eating issues. Maybe kids who refuse to eat in some situations um, or are having digestive issues. I mean, there's there's a lot of research that would suggest that um, the the way that the digestive system works in young children can be impacted by high levels Mm -hmm. of anxiety. So sleep disturbances, kids who don't sleep well early on, there could be some underlying anxiety there. If they're if they seem sad or more withdrawn. Like kids can be shy. And we've talked about that on previous episodes. It's okay for kids to be shy. Um, but those can sometimes be very early warning signs of potential problems with anxiety later. Yeah. As you talk about this, looking back, it's I, not all of those, but I was like, yeah, I mean, my son would have, even as an infant, trouble sleeping, which a lot of them do, but he would get so upset that there was no calming him down. Mom wasn't helping calm him down. Dad couldn't get him calmed down. The only thing that would work, since we talked about music at the beginning of the episode, was <laughs> the song from Snow White, uh, Someday My Prince Will Come. And mm-hmm. it got so bad that my wife and I both downloaded it on our phone, so we had it ready wherever we were. And sometimes that didn't work, but it was just like the high falsetto whatever would calm him down. Or if we're at home, we'd put the movie on and, and let him watch it because mm-hmm. it worked. And I also want to say, like, I feel badly for – first-time parents because nobody knows what they're doing when they Mm -hmm. bring the baby home. So you don't know that the baby's not supposed to cry a lot or you might, you know, they don't have a good appetite. You don't know. So Mm -hmm. man, it's hard to find that. And if you've got a newborn, I mean, I I think at this point you should be taking more care of your own anxiety than worrying about your child's anxiety because you've got plenty of time to figure out what it is that's causing, you know, the behaviors or the 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 symptoms or the signs that you're seeing, if if you are seeing anything, really in the early, early, especially those very early days with a newborn, it's really more about the parent's anxiety and how to keep that in check and get to know your baby and know that all of those routines and schedules and things come in time. And it's just supposed to be so, so hard in the beginning. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want, you know, if if there's a parent of a newborn out there listening, this is not the time to wonder if your child has anxiety. This is the time to take care of your needs, keep the baby safe and fed. Um, All of these things kind of come together. But as we said, a lot of times when you get a diagnosis later on with your child and you look back, you can go, oh, I, you know, I noticed that we would go into public places and they would be very clingy or they would, they would be really upset when the lights were super bright or they would have a hard time in places that were very noisy. And, and so that's, you know, some of that sensory, like we talked about in Mm -hmm. our sensory processing disorders episode. Um, But sometimes it can be early signs of anxiety. And if you think about it from the kind of that brainstem idea, when we, when we talked about how fight or flight works is, you know, babies who are demonstrating signs of anxiety are actually showing you, you know, signs of a fight or flight response. They they feel unsafe or unsettled and they need you as the parent to to help regulate them and help them to feel safe. And that's kind of the priority there. As they get older and you see things start to evolve, then you can, you know, get some better ideas about how to help. And keeping with the music theme, we're moving on up. So we're gonna move into toddlerhood now, two to four. Yeah, I would say let's let's do like two to six. That that's, that's a even pretty better bigger chunk of, of development there. And so this that is- way we don't have a three hour episode. Right. Otherwise we're going to be talking until tomorrow. Yeah. And 
<laughs> and I think you're going to start rolling your eyes at some point. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that. Um, but so ages two to six, it's a little easier to see, you know, what's, what's anxiety versus what's, versus what's not, but still kind of difficult because kids between two and six don't usually have their, you know, let's talk about our feeling skills in mm-hmm. check yet, you know, but some they are adults talking. don't have that either. Yeah. Yeah. Some people in their forties and fifties don't yeah. have that. Yours, yours truly. <laughs> Working, so work in progress. Work in progress. Those skills can develop throughout the lifespan. But so for kids between the ages of two and six, um, you you're gonna you're gonna be able to like pick up on it better. But they're not gonna tell you. They're gonna mm. show you through their behavior. And so you might see, you know, say that say that again. Okay. okay. So they're not gonna tell you they're anxious. They're not gonna say, "Mom, I'm anxiety. I'm filled with anxiety." Or, "Dad, I'm really worried." They're gonna show you with their behavior. With and their behavior, okay. their behavior could be a lot of different things between two and six. Maybe it's frequent tantrums in public places. Maybe it's lots of questions about what's going to happen next. Maybe it's nervousness at bedtime. Maybe it's nervousness in new social situations. Maybe it's only eating certain foods. Um, maybe it's not wanting to eat at all. Maybe it's being scared of new things. Maybe it's not wanting to go to public restrooms because of the way the toilets echo. All of these things mm. are things you might see in, a, in an anxious child between the ages of two and six. They're also things you might see in kids who have problems with sensory processing. So that's why, even though it's getting easier to recognize concerns, it's not easier to necessarily know what to do yet because there's so many possible explanations for some of these things that, that it can get very, very confusing, very fast. So they're, they're a little older. And and as you said, they, they're not in their, let's talk about my feelings kind of mode, but what can a parent do if they start to see behavioral problems or situations in their child? They can very much monitor the behavior and try to do a little detective work. What might be a common trend? What's a common denominator? Do you see this thing happening in the same situation over and over again? Is it happening across all situations? Is it happening with certain people? Um, Really, this is where, you know, my my nerdy tracker instincts come out and I want people to write things down and, and notice patterns, uh, because that can tell you a lot more about it too, because it could be as simple as, you know, if your child's having a meltdown every afternoon at the same time, they're hungry, right? It could be a sugar thing and they need a snack. Um, it could be lack of sleep. There's, there's so many possible explanations that you just really need to get data. You need to get an idea of when and why and how, and this is where it's also a really good idea to communicate very well with your pediatrician or primary care physician for your child. Make sure that they're helping you to normalize and recognize what might be pretty normal for their developmental level and what might be an indicator of a, of a difficulty. So at, at this age range, you could see a lot of different things. And some of the stuff that stands out for me would be you know, kids who are maybe struggling to communicate, like maybe they can talk to some people really well, but maybe in school or in social situations, they're not talking to anyone. Continued sleep issues, like we mentioned in the the other age group, you can see sleep problems and nightmares at this stage as well. Again, digestive issues, eating habit issues. But the big one you're going to start to see, especially as they get closer to six, is aches and pains, tummy aches, I don't Mm. feel good. Those kinds of things can be a red flag for an underlying emotional or anxiety difficulty. And because again, if we go back to what we just said a minute ago, kids can't tell you how they feel, right? But they know what a tummy ache feels like. They've got language for that, right? They know what a headache feels like. So these things oftentimes will, will sort of display as a physical symptom. You may start to see signs of low self-confidence at this age. So Hmm. if a child Mm -hmm. is struggling with anxiety between the ages of two and six, they're probably, you know, 
doubting themselves. They're probably not as eager to try new things. They might start to say things that aren't very kind to themselves. And so that would be, that would be a red flag for me, something to pay attention to. So again, you know, two and three-year-olds, the terrible twos, the three-nagers, whatever, it's really hard to tell that behavior problem, but as they get older, moving on then to six to 12, I would assume we're going to stop it before teenager, right? Because you got the whole preteen. Yeah. And well, so six to 12 is a, uh, a pretty good range because now we're, we've got our, you know, like elementary school years. A lot happens. A lot happens. And they, it's a, it's a period of time where there's a lot of learning and growth and language development and problem solving skills and a lot of other things. And so truly, you know, you had mentioned was about first, second grade. Mm -hmm. Um, You started to, to see more difficulties. That's pretty common. First and second grade, we're starting to see, you know, more consistent for kids with anxiety. We're seeing more consistent complaints of tummy aches or not feeling well or not wanting to go to school. We're starting to see more worried thoughts, more anxious behavior at bedtime. Those kinds of things become a little more clear cut. At this point, you're, you're, even if they can't talk about their feelings in great depth, you can pull from their language and get that they're worried. You can get a sense of, of it being worry, um, but it can look at a lot of different ways beyond that. So you might have a worried six to 12 year old who's acting out physically, who's, who's kicking things, who's throwing things, who's getting mad. And it looks like oppositional behavior, but really it's anxiety based. You can have an anxiety, uh, a child with anxiety between the ages of six and 12, who's more in like turning internal, like they're quiet, they're withdrawn. um, They don't talk, they're inhibited. They don't really speak up in class. Maybe they're not engaging with their peers. Um, And so it can kind of turn the other way too. And you can have kids between six and 12 who are starting to really, experience anxiety who are just really low on themselves and just say really, you know, continued unkind things, have no confidence, don't want to try new things, um, continue to be fearful in a lot of the same ways that we described even starting with infancy. A a little advice I would add on to that is listen to other people in your child's life because six to 12, they're in school. And Mm -hmm. it was our son's first grade teacher who first told us maybe should have look into this because we, we didn't know anything, you know, Mm -hmm. so be a, Objective or be open to that kind of conversation um, and take it seriously. Because what's the, what's the harm in getting them checked out and it's nothing? Okay, right. fine, move right. on. But then you also have other adults in that kid's life who see that as oppositional behavior. And it, speaking from experience, it is so hard to get them to realize it. And some people don't. Mm-hmm. Any words of advice there? I mean, I'm thinking if you're one of those adults, you're not listening to this podcast you know, right? But you should be. But from a parent's standpoint, I know it's advocating for your child. We've done it every single year. Some um, some adults have been very receptive and open to it. Others are like, okay, let's talk and let's see and, and learn together. And then others are just Nope, nope, that's not it. Yep, and and these are the the situations where you know I want to cram helpful articles and books and audiobooks and <laughs> things like that down people's throats to to help them just kind of catch up with this idea that there are other ways to look at things and um, to kind of expand their perception of it so they don't have to be as distressed themselves about it. So just the more you know, the easier it is you know to kind of deal with something that that might be new for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have to realize sometimes these these folks aren't going to be the people who are supportive and they're not going to be there to help us or our children struggle through this kind of thing. And so, um, you know, don't waste a lot of energy on someone who's not open to viewing the world through a different lens. That's just not going to get you super far. But at the same time, it's our kids. So you don't give up when they need it. You know what I mean? And it's it's just a little special shout out to those going through that now because I, I've been there and it's, Mm -hmm. can I say sucks on the podcast? It stinks. I don't know. We'll just 
decide how that goes, but it's it's a real bad deal. It is bad, and it's hard on the entire family when mm-hmm. uh, when that happens. And it just it's you know you're in school for a really long time when you're a kid. When mm-hmm. you get to an adult, you're like, oh, that was a very short part of my lifespan. But when you're a kid, that's a really long time to be that uncomfortable and that unhappy. Mm-hmm. And you just you keep advocating until your child's in a situation where they can be successful. And I I do think this is an important place to bring up that idea that you know if if the child's anxiety is surfacing as oppositional behavior, it can be harder to get other adults on board with trying new ways of interacting. Yeah. Right? They they may kind of revert to that like, well, here's the expectation and here's the consequence for that behavior, and that's where it's at. But if that's not helping the child learn, then I would argue that's wasting everyone's time too. Yeah. So let's, you know, let's like try a, a different lens. And so um, just continue conversation and education and trying to get people to, to take perspective on it. Um, that's, that's how we get there. I mean, that's why we do things like mental health awareness. That's why we have this podcast is just making sure that people have the opportunity to learn new ways of looking at old problems. Absolutely. And to be fair, the the behavior that's being exhibited is not very becoming. I mean, it's not appropriate in say a classroom or on a sports team or something. So that's what makes it tricky of, of where's, where's the discipline fall versus, okay, let's treat this as if your arm is broken, you're in a cast. Well, if I have anxiety, you can't see the, the proverbial cast on my head, but there's still an issue there just as I can't write this paper. I can't type because my hand is in a cast. And that's, that's a great point. And something to bring up is that oftentimes when kids start school, there's just no concerns about anxiety. It's their experience in school that triggers it. So if you've got a child with a learning disability or some other, you know, struggles that are impacting their academic functioning, you can start to see low self-esteem and anxiety develop while they're in school, maybe as a, you know, an early child or in their early childhood or preschool years or that, you know, you didn't have any concerns, but then when they got in there and the expectations in school went up and they, they really had to kind of apply things, that's when they kind of hit that wall. And so you might start to see anxiety disorders or symptoms of anxiety really skyrocket at that point. And so that's why it's super important to really be in touch with your healthcare team and ask lots of questions and figure out what's normal and what's not, because if it's a learning disability, no amount of mental health care is going to make that better. If the, right. if the problem in the classroom is not addressed or the learning issue is not identified, you're not going to see that self-esteem go up. And so that's why, you know, whether we're looking at social, you know, anxiety or genetically predisposed anxiety, or we're looking at trauma-based anxiety or things that develop because of our academic concerns or even sensory processing concerns with all the ingredients that are there to make up, you know, what's going on for that kiddo, you got to break it down. You got to, you got to figure out what's there and, and kind of follow those paths until you get some clarity because those things don't get better on their own. And looking at it as a behavior problem isn't the answer. Right. So that this is the age group that I'm in as a parent is the six to 12. So I can totally sympathize with those of you listening who are in that. And again, I send you like extra compassion for you because I know it's, it's hard, but I will tell you it does get better because the kids language develops a little bit better and they do start advocating for the, for themselves. Mm-hmm. This, this reminds me of something and I, it's going to look like I'm <laughs> kind of random here, but I just, I, I thought about something that comes up a lot and I get this question at work a lot actually is can little kids, if you see signs of anxiety in a very young child, a zero to two year old or a two or three year old, can you put them in counseling? Right. And so I think that's a solid question because if you're seeing signs, why couldn't you do something about it? Well, 
what typically is going to happen if we see a child that's two or three years old or, or even younger and they're showing signs of anxiety and it's causing problems and the parents want help, we'll work with them. And, but we'll work primarily with the parent on how to provide what that child needs to feel safe and secure in their environment. And so it'll be kind of, you know, helping the parent learn to interpret the behavior and make sense of it and figure out what actions they can take that help that child to learn skills. So I don't know very many therapists that would work one-on-one with a two or three-year-old, but I know many, many young therapists that would work with young people and their parents to help them better understand each other and, and kind of create an environment where that that child's symptoms can kind of re- be reduced. And so that, that does happen. And I know we, I, we were on the six to 12s and I kind of bounced backwards, but that's probably something I should have said when we were talking about those younger kids. That's right. It makes sense. It's, it all fits. And now we're moving into uh, uncharted territory for me and that's the mm-hmm. teenage years, but your, your boat floats in that ocean. Yeah, floats. It uh, doesn't float so much as it just like it rocks back and forth and up and down, and it overturned last week, and it's it's a very rocky ride. Um, so yeah, the the tweens and teens are a special phase, you know, for parents for many many reasons. But when we're looking for signs of anxiety in that space, there's so much going on. Again, like we talked about, there's so much learning and development in that six to twelve range. Well, between twelve and eighteen. Oh my gosh, their brains are on fire. Uh, their bodies are changing. Their their friends and their people around them are changing um, at the same time, but in different directions. And it's it's just so difficult. And so a lot of the anxiety symptoms you would see for kids in that age range are socially based. So it might be you know feeling insecure with your friends. It might be um, anxiety about meeting new people. It might be speaking in front of your class. Um, those kinds of um, symptoms and types of anxiety tend to to really surface. Um, you can also see lots of self esteem issues and lots of comparing with other kids. And those are usually not good signs. And at this age, it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between anxiety and depression because Mm -hmm. it can all look like just crabby irritability, right? But teens can be crabby and irritable even if they don't have anxiety or depression. So (laughs) they sure can. (laughs) (laughs) Teens can be a lot of things and it doesn't have to be a problem. And I, you know, as a parent of a teen, I have to reassure myself that, you know, this is, this is just part of it. And um, I love talking with veteran parents who have been there and done that and can kind of normalize that. So again, when you're experiencing something with your tween or teen and you're not sure if it's a sign of anxiety, a sign of depression, a sign of any other mental health condition, talk with their doctor, talk with your your you know fellow parents, talk with other people, read research, find out what you can about what's normal and what's not, because it, it's not even comparing one child to another. If I compare my teenager to my friend's teenager, they look very different right? Mm. They, and I don't mean appearance, but like their behaviors, their actions, how they interact with the world. So that's not going to help me know if what my child is doing is healthy and normal. I have to go with like, what is her baseline? What do we know about our kids? And then what's a big change from there? So when you're looking at your tweens and teens and trying to figure out if there's something going on, if their norm is is here and you can't see because this is a podcast, but I'm holding my hand up at a certain <laughs> level um, and their behavior is way out of that. And it's either way above that line or way below that line. That's a problem, right? That's something to look at and to figure out what the next step might be. Um, but if it's, you know, it, it, lots of times we see like short-term bursts and changes in behavior and you just kind of want to watch that pattern too. Okay. Can you develop the anxiety at a different age? Because we talked about what it looks like in the toddlers and then elementary school and now teenagers. Can you be perfectly fine through elementary school and then you hit 15, all of a sudden something kicks in and the anxiety uh, bus is... I don't know, pedal to the metal. 
Yes. Yes, absolutely. Problematic anxiety, we'll call it that, can develop at any point during your lifespan. You can have just like normal wiring, just be set to have just the right amount of anxiety to keep you safe and motivated and be moving along fine on that anxiety bus that Chad described. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, things can go haywire because of an experience, because you've hit a new developmental phase and maybe your environment wasn't ready for that and you weren't ready for that and you don't have the skills ready to navigate that. Maybe genetically, you know, I've met families where everything's pretty good until a certain point and then that anxiety kicks in at that particular age and then things are rocky from that point on. You can have a traumatic event, a loss, a death. Um, you can have academic problems. You can have social experiences that kind of set you back. Somebody can hurt you or hurt your feelings or or break your heart and those things can all, depending on the child's makeup and their, their other experiences leading up to that moment, can really open the door to mental health symptoms that maybe weren't there before. So that's, <laughs> mental health seems scary because it can come up at any time. You're, you're never really like immune to having some kind of a mental health issue. Yeah. Well, it's almost like you could argue the point of you've always had the extra anxiety, but it's been held behind a dam and then something happens and that dam bursts. And yeah. and that absolutely can happen where, where it was, you know, everything was in check until something happened. And there's, uh, there was this model we talked about in school, the stress diathesis model. Oh my gosh. I, remember learning, thinking, I'll never use that phrase, but here I used it. Here, here but, but, it was, but I think, and I know I need to check my facts here, but I believe it, it was talking about that idea that, you know, depending on all the many things that can happen in your life, you may be fine. You may get all the way to, you know, 105 years old and never have a problem. But if you have a certain series of experiences that kind of line up and there's this predisposition for this, it could come out, you know, the anxiety or the mental health condition could come out and, and show more of a problem. And so it's, it's, never ever a, a question of is it nature or nurture was it your you know wiring or your environment it's always a combination of things hmm. and so you know with kids that's that's just one more factor that makes it hard but again in teens and tweens you're looking for kind of what's your child's norm what's the baseline for them and if you see significant ups or downs in their behaviors in terms of eating habits sleeping habits their social behavior their grades um, you know attitude I'm I'm here to tell you Chad attitude is not a measure of mental illness. It is not the way to determine if your child has a mental health condition or not, because attitude kind of comes with the age yeah. with some of these kids. And so you just kind of have to prepare, but lots of other things that are, you know, not typical for your child could be red flags and are worth talking to them about. And at this age, it's really important that you're having conversations with them about what you're seeing and asking them what they think. Do you feel more anxious or worried? Do you feel sadder than you normally do? Do you feel like anything is not quite right? Because a lot of times at this stage, they do have the words. They can tell you. And sometimes, here's here's the hard part. Sometimes we don't want to listen, right? Mm. Sometimes the way they choose to tell us or the time that they choose to tell us that they're having a hard time, we're not really ready for it, or we're not sure how to take it, or we don't know how to respond, or we're tired. Right. And so for teens and tweens, a lot of times they, when they get to therapy, they are like, I've tried to tell so-and-so I tried to tell my mom or I tried to tell my dad, but they wouldn't listen or they don't get it. Right. And that's because the communication is, is kind of by nature, a little bit janky at this age. Mm -hmm. 
is that an okay word to use? I don't know. That's great. <laughs> okay. Um, and so I think we can see, you know, kids at this age that think they're trying to communicate and parents that think they're trying to communicate, but really it's just not going well because they haven't figured out how to, how to, you know, work with one another at this stage of development. It's very interesting when you say that know how to listen. So and what I took from that was they might not tell you with their words. They might tell you with their actions or their lack thereof. Yep. Speak to that. Just like kids at a younger age, because you, you pointed this out with the littles, you know, they're not going to tell you what their words are going to show you with their actions, with their behaviors. Mm-hmm. It's not that different when they get to be teens. They're going to show you with their actions and their behaviors. They might tell you with their words. They mm-hmm. might have some language to describe it, but it... <laughs> might not be language you're familiar with. (laughs) What I mean by that is my kids are coming home with all these phrases that Mm -hmm. they've learned on the TikTok or whatever else, you know, that they're looking at. And so they might say things and I I legitimately have to pause and be like, what? (laughs) What does that mean? So I'm I'm mostly joking there that like you have to relearn their language, but, but they also, they aren't going to most likely come out and say, Hey, I'm feeling really anxious. My self-esteem is tanking and I need to talk to somebody, right? They're right. probably going to show you with their behavior much sooner. Um, and they might show you by being tearful or losing their temper frequently, or just having a really hard time, you know, doing the things you ask them to do. Those can be signs too. They might also just be them being a teenager and going through a hard spot in their life. And so it's important to just again track the, the patterns over time. And that's what's hard with age appropriate behavior versus a mental health issue. While we're still in childhood, are there common diagnoses, more common diagnoses, I should ask, in childhood? Or, or what are the common diagnoses that we'll see? Like we talked about generalized anxiety disorder. We have not talked about ADHD, but I know that one's diagnosed a lot in children and some of the mm-hmm. behaviors are similar to anxiety. Depression um, comes to mind. What else can parents look for? Yeah. So the really young kids that, you know, we're seeing anxiety where it's causing problems and they, they end up in the doctor's office or counselor's office, things like separation anxiety, um, Mm. that's diagnosed a lot in young children. Um, and that's commonly like, it's pretty normal for kids between the ages of, I don't know, 18 months, three years, you know, kind of that range. You're supposed to see a little bit of separation Mm -hmm. anxiety. They, they shouldn't be eager to leave your side, but if it goes beyond that, you know, into those preschool and early school years, then, then it's more of a diagnosed kind of thing. We're more, we're more seeing, you know, that it's problematic at that point. Uh, We do see a lot of generalized anxiety in young childhood, but it can be tough to kind of sort of parse out what is generalized anxiety versus what versus what might be social anxiety or this because the deal with generalized anxiety disorder is that it's anxiety it's about a lot of different things yeah. yeah it's and so as the child ages what might have looked like generalized anxiety at first may start to look more like an OCD or um, social phobia or some other kind of thing and so that's that's as a as a clinician I'm never too attached to any label or diagnosis in childhood. Um, I can tell families what this looks like and what the features are and what what we're looking at it as now, because that can inform treatment options. Um, but I also encourage parents to keep an open mind to the fact that things will change and evolve over time. And so what makes the most sense now, you know, when your child is five years older than this might look very, very different. So other things you see in little kids, um, you know, you can have very specific phobias, but like, here's an important point. Kids can be afraid of spiders or snakes or 
whatever else, but it doesn't mean it's a phobia, right? So this is where we go back to, is it causing a problem in their lives? If it is, then we can start to use that term phobia. Otherwise it's just something kids are afraid of, right? It's our, it's normal for young kids to be afraid of bugs or scary things, you know? Mm -hmm. And then as we start to get a little bit older into those, you know, pre-adolescent years, we're seeing a little bit more social anxiety diagnosis. Um, selective mutism is something we've not talked a lot about on this podcast, Chad, but we start to see that in, during the school years where kids will talk in some situations, but not others. And so it seems like they're selectively mute, you know? And so oh, that's, that's okay. something that, that we can see in school age kids quite a bit. Then as we get into the teen years, um, we're definitely, you mentioned ADHD, so I'll back up a bit. You know, we're typically kindergarten, first grade, there's pretty big red flags of ADHD going on and, and we're looking at that, but that doesn't mean that anxiety hasn't mixed with that and that there's mm -hmm. not some combination of the two. So um, in the future, we hope to really spend some time on ADHD and, and give people a lot of information about that. So we'll come back to it, but know that that's very common in those early years. And then when we get to the teens, you you know, that there we may start to see um, kind of more overlapping anxiety and depression. It might be a little bit harder to tease out which is which. I think that's kind of, I mean, OCD is one of those diagnoses. I, I would like to do another episode on that sometime, Chad, because there's just so much data and so much research that can help us understand that one better. But like you can see signs of that very early on, but it does tend to evolve over time mm -hmm. and it can actually include um, signs of other disorders too. So okay. that's that's one of those we see a lot in childhood. I don't, One thing that kind of randomly popped in my head since you had your randomization there earlier in the episode about going backwards. So I'm going to go back a little bit. We talk about the teenagers and their attitude and general grumpiness sometimes. I think it's, and feel free to disagree or, or validate, but I think it's okay to validate their feelings if they're having a, a bad day. My son did that a couple weeks ago. He was just, just grumpy, came home and nothing was making him happy. And I just told him, I was like, you know what, dude, it's okay to have a bad day. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And just let him, let him be, let him have his grumpy day. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. I have grumpy days. So why can't, why can't a kid have that? Yeah. I do think that we have a tendency to like hold our kids to higher standards than ourselves. We can be yeah. grumpy and yell at people, but they're not allowed to express themselves inappropriately ever. You right. know, so we want to be careful that we model, you know, what it looks like to have a safe grumpy day. You mm -hmm. know, if <laughs> yesterday was a grumpy day for me. And so I just sort of kind of, I didn't lock myself in a cage, but somebody probably should have, but I, but I <laughs> just kind of made a spot and I, and I put myself in it and I just kind of checked out and I, and I knew that if I was up trying to do things and interacting, I was going to be unkind and irritable and I didn't want to. So I just kind of let the world know, Hey, I'm on a timeout <laughs> yeah. for everyone else's well-being. And so, um, if we can show kids how to have a bad day and not take it out on other people, that's awesome. Um, but, but modeling that is probably one of the best ways to teach it, but just also, like you said, validating, like, it's okay to have a bad day, dude. We do that. We're allowed, yeah. you know, and here's the space to do it safely. You know, we're getting ready to wrap up, but I want to ask, uh, because this is a childhood mental health podcast, but you mentioned earlier that anxiety can develop at any age. So what do adults need to look out yes, for? Solid question. Solid question. So yes, it can develop at any age for lots of different reasons, be that health concerns, genetics, uh, life experience, trauma. I've met many, many people who grown people who come into my office and say, I have never had any problem with this before. And now all of a sudden, you know, this is interfering with every aspect of my life. And so most of the time we can track it back to something, right? Mm -hmm. Rather it be a life change, a job change, an environmental situation, a stressor, 
a loss, um, those kinds of things. Or could be that, you know, genetically they're, they see like a pattern that they share with another family member. Like my aunt had the same problem was good until this point and then started to have a hard time. And so all kinds of things can interfere and it could be hormones. It could be, um, you know, adjusting to the phase of life that you're in. There's lots of different reasons why an adult might suddenly start to have signs of anxiety or another mental illness. Um, and so just know that, you know, it really, it can happen anytime. And um, there's, you would look for kind of the same types of things. So changes in eating habits, changes in activity level, changes in social behavior. Um, you know, if you're always have been able to go to work every day, no problem. And all of a sudden you're, you're missing work or you're late to work or you're not getting your job done and your performance is suffering. And, you know, those would all be signs, you know, potential red flags, um, tearfulness. If you're, you know, we didn't really mention that for kids, crying is a normal thing that people do, right? We, we do, we were built with that ability to cry Mm -hmm. for a reason. Um, but if you're seeing more tearfulness at any stage, than you normally see. That can be a sign of anxiety or other emotional difficulties. Um, And especially as an adult, if you're finding that you're just crying every time you turn around, you know, that's something to talk with your doctor about, something to look at. What is this? What's what's happening here? What can I connect this to? Um, And so for, like I said, with adults, it's really a lot of those same things. What's your baseline and where are you now? And if it's way out of whack with what you're used to in terms of your usual everyday behaviors and it's causing problems, it's, it's definitely worthy of having a conversation with your healthcare provider. Also, as I said earlier in the episode about be open to other people's uh, opinion or other people's thoughts and telling you that. Same thing as an adult. You know, you know you better than anybody else on the planet, correct? So you're not going to notice how you change day to day, but someone close to you in your life might. And so it might be a hard conversation, but know that they're looking out for the best interest of you and your relationship. So just take people seriously. And if somebody comes up to you, child or adult, and just says, man, I need to talk or I'm struggling or something just doesn't feel right, be a good ear and listen. Mm-hmm. And, and know that like we, even as grown people who have it together some of the time, we're allowed to struggle when things get hard too. So it's not unusual to have you know, this, this sort of new phase of life. So maybe you've just become a parent or maybe you've just taken a new job or maybe your kids have grown up and they've just left the nest and you're just, you're having such a hard time. Like just because you have a hard time with a change or something that's going on in your life doesn't mean you have a mental illness. That's important too. So it's, it's, I almost feel like I'm flipping the same coin over, over and over. And so on the one side, oh, I better pay attention to this. It could be a problem and you might need professional help. But on the same coin, other side, that might be a very normal response to a stressful event in your life and you might be just fine soon. You just kind of got to give yourself the space to, to take care of yourself in the meantime. And so it's, it's kind of hard to know, but the, the, the line then again, as we've said a million times is, is this causing problems in your everyday life? Is it interfering with your ability to function? Is it keeping you from things you would normally enjoy? Is it interfering with your relationships, your productivity, the, the things that you normally, you know, would be doing, then it's time to talk to somebody. And to wrap everything up in a nice little bow with another music lesson here, uh, Tracy Lawrence had a song in the 90s called Time Marches On. And the line that made me think of this was, the only thing that stays the same is everything changes. That's true. Waxing poetic with country music. I love it, especially 90s country. So on our next episode, episode 48, we're going to talk about sleep and another song reference. Uh, What's sleep got to do with it? Although it's what's love got to do with it. But, you know, we can have some fun uh, poetic license there. So that's coming out in a couple of weeks. As always, we appreciate you listening, sharing this episode or any other 
other episodes with folks who you think could benefit from this. Um, we'll ask you again, if you like what you're hearing, to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That just gets more eyes and ears on the podcast. And our whole goal in starting this was to start a conversation. And that conversation continues with you.